Our scripture today is John 18, 33 through 40. Please stand if you're able for the reading of God's word. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. Thank you, Casey. And good morning, everyone. It's a privilege to be standing here before you this morning. Uh, let's uh, start by going to the Lord together in prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray that you use your word this morning to conform us to the image of your Son. Help us to see the glory of Jesus. Illuminate your word this morning through your Holy Spirit. May your word truly be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Amen. So have you ever met a king or a queen or maybe even a president? I know the closest that I've ever come is to shake the hand of the first lady while her husband was in office. When I was in high school, Rosalind Carter made a goodwill tour of Central and South America. And I was able to meet her briefly when she stopped in Quito, Ecuador. I had no difficulty knowing who she was. Her importance was obvious. Everyone wanted to meet her. She was the center of attention. She was surrounded by an entourage of both Ecuadorian security and Secret Service agents. There's no way I could have missed her. She's what I expected. The contrast with Jesus in our text today is striking. Jesus stood alone before Pilate. His disciples had fled. The crowds turned against him. To Pilate, he didn't look like anyone important. Our passage opens with a question that Pilate asks Jesus. It's recorded in all four of the gospel accounts. Are you the king of the Jews? In all four gospels, this is the first question that he asks Jesus as he begins his interrogation. And in all four, the pronoun you is emphatic. That means that the force of the Greek text is you. Are you the king of the Jews? Pilate was incredulous. Jesus was not what he was expecting. As Isaiah the prophet said, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. 
His glory is veiled. Before Pilate stands the preeminent one, the, the one who through whom and for whom all things are created, the one who will one day judge the world in righteousness. Pilate has eyes, but he doesn't see. He has ears, but he doesn't hear. Jews also missed the king. They were looking for a Messiah of their own making. Jesus was not who they were expecting. It's not like the Jews weren't told he was coming. One of the central themes of the Old Testament is the coming of the king who will rule over an eternal kingdom. In the Garden of Eden, we first hear of the promised offspring of woman who will crush the serpent's head. When Jacob blesses his sons, he says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. Later, God covenants with David, who is of the tribe of Judah. He says that from David's offspring, there will come a ruler whose throne will be established forever. The Psalms and the prophets talk extensively about the coming king. We saw this in Isaiah 9 that we just quoted together a few minutes ago. Another example is Micah 5.2. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, are too little to be among the clans of Judah, for you, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies about himself, yet his kingship and his kingdom were misunderstood. When Jesus feeds the 5,000, John 6:15 explains that they, the crowds, were about to come and make him king by force. So Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So having refused crowning by a mob, there's a certain irony in Pilate's question. Are you the king of the Jews? It would be helpful to talk about how this question fits into the larger narrative. Jesus had been sent by Pilate at, to Pilate after he met with Caiaphas and Annas. The office of the high priest was hereditary and it was for life. But one of the governors, one of the Roman governors, had deposed Annas. So then all five of Annas's sons served as high priest, and the current reigning high priest was his son-in-law, Caiaphas. But to the Jews, the rightful high priest was Annas. Our text today picks up in part four of a six-part trial. Part one is the trial before Annas. Part two, recorded in the other Gospels, is the illegal trial before Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin. It's illegal for the Sanhedrin to meet at night. So part three is when they meet again after daybreak to make their judgment official. Part four is in our text today before Pilate. John records more than any other gospel the Roman part of the trial. Luke records part five, when Jesus stands before Herod. 
Next week, we will see part six, where Pilate gives in to the Jews and condemns Jesus to death. The Jews, the Romans trying to kill Jesus for a very long time. It wasn't easy as the Romans had taken away their right to execute anyone. They had previously tried to incite a mob to stone him. That way they had plausible deniability. The, the Romans wouldn't be able to pin anything on them. But it had not yet been Jesus' hour, and passing through their midst, he went away. Jesus wasn't to die a Jewish execution by stoning. He was to die by crucifixion, as described in great detail in the Psalms and the prophets hundreds of years before. So in our text today, the Jews send Jesus to the Roman governor, and Pilate begins his interrogation by asking if he is king of the Jews. Through their dialogue, Jesus answers this question. We will see the kingdom of the king in verses 33 to 36. Jesus will explain the purpose of his kingship in verses 37 and 38. And we will witness the great exchange of the king in verses 39 and 40. This morning, we will answer these questions. Why did Jesus answer Pilate's question with a question? Practically, what does it mean to be part of Christ's kingdom? Why is it important that Jesus be fully God and fully man? What truth does Jesus bear witness to in verse 37? And what does it mean to be of the truth? First, Jesus explains, So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Pilate's question assumes that this is the charge leveled against Jesus. Pilate didn't care about Jewish law or charges of blasphemy. He was concerned about threats to Rome. The Jews knew this, so they had to accuse Jesus of something that Rome would care about and would carry the death penalty. Pilate's question then when was in a way asking if Jesus was pleading innocent or guilty. Verse 34, Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Why did Jesus answer Pilate's question with a question? The reason is because Jesus is exposing the root of Pilate's question. Answering with a simple yes or no could be misleading, depending on what Pilate meant by the question. If the governor was asking on his own accord, he was asking if Jesus was a threat to Rome. So no, Jesus was not an insurrectionist. But if Pilate was simply restating the charges brought by the Jews, then Jesus did indeed claim to be the Messiah, the King of Israel. But he would need to provide major clarification on the nature of his kingdom. Verse 35, Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? 
Jesus now has his answer. Pilate is simply restating the charges brought by the Jews. So Jesus explains the nature of his kingdom by first stating what it is not. Please look at verse 36. Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. Jesus answers by explaining the nature and origin of his kingdom. It's not of this world, and it's not from this world. It does not derive its authority from any human source. In John's gospel, Jesus is constantly explaining spiritual truth, which is misunderstood for physical things. If his kingdom was of this world, his followers would have caught, fought to keep him from being delivered over to the Jews. But not only did they not fight, but Jesus told Peter to sheathe his sword. And Jesus had hands before Pilate. The contrast between the kingdom represented by Pilate and the kingdom represented by Jesus couldn't have been greater. The Roman Empire at this time stretches from Spain all the way to the Arabian Peninsula, from Britannia in the north to North Africa and Egypt in the south. The empire is wealthy and worldly. The legions of Rome protect the emperor and carry out his will. The Roman Empire also experiences frequent civil war. Smooth transitions of power are rare. And while the Roman Empire will last another 400 years, it eventually falls. Just like Babylon, the empire of the Medes and the Persians, the empire of Alexander the Great, and all world empires before or since. But the kingdom of Jesus is quite different. Jesus protects his servants, not the other way around. He needs no protection. And while the king of the kingdom is about to die, his kingdom is not shaken. It is an everlasting kingdom that has no end. It is a victorious kingdom. And we, as believers, are part of that kingdom. God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. That means that this world is not our home. We're on different trajectories. We serve a different king. Practically, what does this mean for us? Here are three things to take away. First, it means that we shouldn't be surprised when we encounter various trials. Not only do we incur the suffering everyone does from just living in a fallen world, but we have been promised tribulation because we serve a different king. In John 16, Jesus said, In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So we shouldn't be surprised, yet how often do we ask, why me? Or 
We say, I'm mad at God because these difficult things came my way. No, we, we expect hardship, but we look to the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our affliction. Second, being part of, the, of a different kingdom means having a different mission. Our king didn't come in luxury, and he doesn't call us to ease, but to mission. He calls us to go and make disciples. He calls us to proclaim the good news of the kingdom, to tell others that death is defeated, grace is triumphant, and Jesus is king. Third, practically, it means that we are part of a kingdom that is already and not yet. The kingdom is here and now, but not in its fullness. What we have is just a taste of what is to come. We work and wait with anticipation and hope. We look forward to the day when our faith will be sight, when the kingdom of this world becomes the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. Our king is coming again to rule a never-ending kingdom and to bring everything into subjection to himself, where every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. His kingdom is a different kind of kingdom because Jesus is a different. Jesus now describes his kingship positively. In verses 37 and 38, we see the purpose of the kingship. Verse 37, Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world. Notice the reference to both his incarnation, he was born, and his pre-existence, he fully man. So why is that important? Why is it important that, that Jesus is both fully God and fully man? I'd like the children to help us answer that question. So children, number 22 of the New City Catechism asks, why must the Redeemer be totally human? So let's say the answer together. That in human nature, he might on our behalf perfectly obey the whole law and suffer the punishment for human sin. So number 23 asks, why must the Redeemer be truly God? That because of his divine nature, his obedience and suffering would be perfect and effective. So thank you, children. So it's necessary that our Redeemer be truly human and truly God. He must be truly human to be our substitute sacrifice, to supply to us his righteousness, and to be the one mediator between God and man. First, he had to be truly human to be our substitute sacrifice, to die in our place. Hebrews 2.17 says that he had to be like his brothers in every respect to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Second, he had to be truly human to supply to us his righteousness. He was the only person who ever lived in perfect obedience to God. He is perfectly righteous. Romans 5.19 says, 
that by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Third, Jesus had to be truly human and truly God to be a mediator between the two. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Now, Jesus also had to be fully God. Our sin was committed against God, and only God can forgive transgressions against himself. So to be our Redeemer, Jesus must be truly human and truly God. Verse 37 continues by telling us the purpose for which Jesus was born and the purpose he came into the world. It says, to bear witness to the truth. What truth? The truth of his kingdom. The truth of his saving kingship. The truth of our sin and our need for a savior. Jesus is the very embodiment of truth. He is the author of truth and wills to make it known. Jesus continues at the end of verse 37. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. What does it mean to be of the truth? It means that you have a relationship with Jesus so that when you hear his voice, you listen to it. In John 8, 47, Jesus tells the Jews, whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is you are not of God. To hear the words of God, we must be his sheep, meaning his people. In John 10, verses 26 and 27, Jesus says, but you do not believe because you are not among my Those who listen to his voice are those who are of his kingdom and embrace his kingship. There's an implicit invitation in Jesus' words. Pilate is challenged to accept or reject the truth that Jesus has come to reveal. In a larger sense, it's Pilate, not Jesus, who is on trial. Verse 38. Pilate said to him, what is truth? After, after he said, had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. Pilate asks the question, what is truth? But doesn't wait for an answer. He either doesn't believe that there is such a thing as truth, or if he does, he isn't interested in it. The embodiment of truth stands before Pilate, but he doesn't seek an answer from the only one who can give him the answer. He doesn't listen to the voice of Jesus because he is not of the truth. What Pilate did understand was that Jesus was not a threat to Rome. He was not an insurrectionist. If Pilate had any integrity, it would have ended there. Jesus would have been released. But Pilate was afraid of offending the Jews because of his history with them. Luke 13, 1 gives us this commentary. There were some present at that very time who told him, Jesus, about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. 
We're not told the backstory here, but the Jewish historian Josephus relates several instances of Pilate's brutality toward the Jews. His actions would have been reported to Rome, and Pilate was under constant threat of the Jews reporting him again. Three times, Pilate declares Christ's innocence. Here, in our passage, and in 19.4 and in 19.6, he declares him to be not guilty. The Jews gave no valid indictment of Jesus at the beginning of the trial, nor was there a guilty verdict of him in the end. He was found to be innocent, yet he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Hundreds of years before his crucifixion, Isaiah prophesied of the miscarriage of justice against the Messiah. But it was neither the Romans nor the Jews who had power over his life. Isaiah 53.10 says, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Peter told the Jews in Acts 2.23 that Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. In John 10.18, Jesus said, No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. The willing sacrifice of Jesus brings us to our final point, the great exchange of the king. Verses 39 and 40. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Each gospel account contributes something to the picture that we have of Barabbas. John says that Barabbas was a robber. Mark and Luke, that he was a murderer and an insurrectionist. Matthew says that he was a notorious prisoner. Normally, the Jewish leaders would have nothing to do with an insurrectionist. They wanted to maintain the status quo. But in a story dripping with irony, John tells of the Jews falsely all the while calling for the release of a guilty insurrectionist against Rome. The name Barabbas is a compound word. Bar is Aramaic for son of, and Abba means father, and Abbas means stern or somber father. The original readers of John would have caught the irony the Jews rejected the Son of God while calling for the release of the Son of the Stern Father. Jesus was declared not guilty three times by Pilate, yet he took the place of the notorious prisoner Barabbas on the cross. We like to think of ourselves as the hero of our own story. But the truth of the matter is that we are all Barabbas in this story. We're the ones who deserve to die, but Jesus took our place. We owed a debt we couldn't pay, and he paid 
a death. took the penalty for our sin and laid it on Jesus on the cross. And he, in exchange, gave us the righteousness of Christ. So God calls all men and women everywhere to repent and turn away from sin and turn to Jesus. By grace, through faith, he saves us when we trust in Christ alone for salvation. Our text today opened with the question, are you the king of the Jews? Pilate, however, misses the king to whom every knee will bow. He has eyes but doesn't see, ears but doesn't hear. The Jews also miss it. This wasn't the kingdom they were looking for. This wasn't the king they wanted. They were looking for a political Messiah. They wanted someone who would make their life easier. They couldn't see past the physical and the temporal. But the kingdom that Christ ushers in is much greater. It's spiritual and eternal. It's a glorious kingdom. It's for those who are of the truth. And so I ask you, have you missed the kingdom? Are you, like the Jews, seeking a Messiah of your own making, someone who will make your life easier? Or do you seek the one who offers not an easy life, but an abundant life, the one who bears witness to the truth and made the great exchange for you? Don't miss this kingdom. Receive this king today. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we bring nothing to you but our guilt. We plead only the righteousness of Christ. On the scales of justice, your grace is greater than all our sin. Open our eyes to the glory of Jesus. Help us to take every thought captive to obey Christ. Give us the faith that overcomes the world. Help us to live for King Jesus, to be awed by his majesty, encouraged by his love, and overcome by his joy. Amen. I invite the band.